on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. Perhaps, like me, you're at the end of a busy week. I've been dashing around, going from meeting to meeting, but today I've been challenged. This week, did I actually take time to notice people? I had a strange encounter in a supermarket recently. The place was really crowded and it was challenging to navigate the trolley around the aisles. People seemed to be very much in a hurry, as was I. I was eager to get my few bits and pieces and be away. Shopping for groceries is not my favourite thing. And then I saw a very large man heading towards me. At first glance, he looked rather intimidating. We did that embarrassing dance of the trolley thing. You know, you steer that way, they steer the same way. You head the other side of the aisle, they follow suit. I made the obvious comment as we did this little routine, care to dance, and then I apologised for being in his way. His face broke into a broad smile. No problem, he said. And then as we passed each other, he slowed down and his smile got bigger. So he said, how are you doing today? He'd come to a complete stop. My mind raced. Did he know me? Was this someone from our church? But there was no recognition. This was a complete stranger taking a moment to notice me, to greet me, to show some interest. In short, he saw me. I'm fine, thank you very much, I replied. And how are you? Impossibly, the big smile got even bigger. Great, he said. You have yourself a very nice day. It was a moment when the sun came out from behind the clouds, a simple act of pause between complete strangers that caused an almost physical rush of joy. In our rushing, busy and often anonymous world, this was a moment to celebrate. That man didn't know me, but he saw me, seeing people. Now that, tonight, is what we're talking about. Recently, I almost got into a fight, and I'm not talking about a war of words. I met a thoroughly unpleasant chap, and he almost came to blows. I know. It's a bit odd for a Christian leader to confess that he came close to an actual punch-up, but it happened, and as soon as it did, I knew I had to share the experience. Kay and I were in Chicago airport, eagerly hunting for a quick snack. The concourse was packed, the atmosphere dank with the mild despair that descends when multiple flights are delayed due to weather, and everyone hopefully and occasionally hopelessly stared at the departure boards. Peckish, we entered a teeming restaurant and found the last two chairs at a shared table. Across from us, there was a very expensive-looking bag, all fur and leather. It occupied a seat. We assumed it belonged to the man who sat next to it, but we were wrong. An older lady came by and she inquired about the bag. Is this yours, she asked, ever so sweetly. Nobody around the table claimed ownership. Immediately, the soul who wins my rude man of my lifetime award made himself known. He was young, good-looking and dressed in designer clothing with flashy jewellery. Sitting up at the bar just across from the table, he barked, that's my bag and I don't want it on the floor, so leave it alone. When I've finished my meal, I'll move it. Mouths opened around the table, aghast at the suggestion that this elderly lady be made to stand while this posh but inanimate object occupied the only available chair. This was absurd, rude, crass. So I decided to take action and perhaps a little louder than necessary, invited the lady to take my chair. She sat down, then smiled and whispered, 
Perhaps you could teach him a lesson. Emboldened by her encouragement, I walked over and gently tapped Mr. Rude on the shoulder. Excuse me, sir, but have I understood you want this lovely lady to stand and wait while you eat because your luggage is that important? I confess to feeling just a little heroic in that moment. He glared back at me, his deep blue eyes cold, and then he snapped his thin lips tight. Now look here. It seems that you're the gentleman and you gave her your seat, so it's good. Yes? And that's when I knew that we were at a point of no return. His icy stare made his message very clear. If you just say one more word, I'm going to hit you. I decided to not say one more word for a number of reasons, which include me being allergic to pain, and then it's awkward when ministers get into an airport fight and then get arrested, and then also I felt like my job had been done anyway. I'd made my point. Call me a coward, and you might well be right. Back at the table, we chatted happily with the older lady. Eventually, young bag-obsessed Blue Eyes stopped by to pick up his priceless luggage, and with a rude parting shot, he headed out to catch his flight. I was incensed and spent the rest of the day internally fuming about his staggering gift of arrogance. Our flight was delayed further, and I actually wandered around the airport hoping to see him to pursue our chat a little further. Providentially, I didn't find him. But then I started thinking, which can be dangerous, Obviously, his attitude was somewhat extreme, but I wondered how often I am just like him. In that moment, he failed to see a person, a lady who needed a chair. And we can do the same thing, especially if we deal with people a lot. The busy doctor in the casualty ward is told that there's a broken arm in cubicle six, rather than recently widowed Mr. Jones, who is desperate for a warm, brief chat. And the shop assistant yawns, indifferent to the customer who has just become another commodity. And the pastor, the minister, looks out over the congregation, seeing a crowd recording Sunday morning attendance numbers and offering figures, not noticing real flesh and blood people with hopes and dreams and needs and heartaches. The hunched figure, wrapped in a thin sleeping bag in that doorway, becomes a homeless statistic rather than a person with a name and a story. The great Jewish theologian Martin Buber spoke about dangerous temptation to treat people as objects rather than subjects. All around us today are people, unique, needy, hopeful, hopeless, fascinating people. Let's notice them. It was a case of mistaken identity, and it happened when a man who fixes block drains came to our house. Our plumbing was terminally congested, and my combined efforts with prayer and a plunger were to no avail. This came as no surprise. My DIY gifts were extremely limited. Whenever I attempt household repairs, our family moves into a time of intercessory screaming, so I called a drain clearance company. Ron, otherwise known as the Drain Man, arrived with his Ron the Drain Man van. I met him on our driveway and shared the unpleasant details of our problem. He assured me that he would lift the manhole in our front garden and resolve the issue in a jiffy. I thanked him, returned to the house and jumped into the shower. Two minutes later, Ron decided that he needed a, a little more detail about the plumbing layout of our home, so he rang our doorbell. My wife, Kay, answered the door. 
Kay is just four years my junior, but looks considerably younger, owing to her youthful genes and me obviously having had a rough life. Ron took one look at Kay and uttered words that brought unbridled joy to her heart. Can you please tell your dad that I need a word? Kay is unendingly kind, and so she decided not to correct Ron's mistake and risk embarrassing him, so she called up the stairs. Dad, can you come down and talk to Ron? First glances can be deceiving. I know this from bitter experience, having planted my foot squarely in my mouth because I rushed to conclusions. I didn't notice what was going on. Like the time when I spotted Sue arriving for Sunday morning church. She was pregnant, or so I thought. In the final few weeks of her confinement, she'd become quite gigantic. She was certainly ready to bring her huge offspring into the world. Good morning, Sue, I smiled, and noticing her undiminished girth, I asked, so, no baby yet then? She smiled warmly, another example of beautiful kindness, and nodded at the pram that I'd failed to notice. I had the baby last Tuesday, Jeff, she said, pointing to the bundle in the pram. It's just that I'm still this big, I was about to say, but thought better of it, my brain having finally caught up with my mouth. I'm so sorry, Sue. What a beautiful boy, I stammered, praying that the pink-faced infant was indeed a male of the species. I had staggered into this gaff because of first-glance presumption. Ron the drain man and I share the same malady. We took a quick look and too quickly opened our mouths. But there is a more subtle yet terribly toxic temptation that surely awaits us all. We take a first glance and in an instant we close our minds, or worse still, we close our hearts. Some scientists say that we humans start to form impressions of others after seeing their face for less than one-tenth of a second. If they're right, that means that we decide at lightning speed if someone we meet is attractive, authentic, competent, or worthy of our time. Spotting that aggressive-looking soul who has chosen to tattoo his body with profanities, we declare him to be a thug and dangerous with it. And what about that picky, irritating soul who asks us endless questions at the church business meeting? He's surely trouble, a threat to our unity, or so the minister thinks. Jesus saw people. A weeping widow from Nain passes by, and we read that Jesus saw her, and his heart went out to her, and he saw people when they were at their worst. In the midst of hot denials with curses, Peter suddenly felt eyes upon him. Luke tells us the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. No passing glance this, but a look of total knowing and yet total love and commitment. Jesus goes beyond first glance. Let's be like him. It happened during an evening spent in the home of a family from our church. Craig and Andrea are missionaries serving on the campus of Colorado State University here in America. Their commitment is impressive, their home often crammed full of students. Their daughter Zoe is a little lady with a big smile, and once we'd finished our meal, Zoe announced her plan. Let's play hide-and-seek, she whispered, and then proceeded to take us on a tour of the room, pointing out the most likely places where she would actually hide. Perhaps she didn't feel confident that we would be able to locate her without some help. 
Unsurprisingly, with her hints, it didn't take long for the game to be over. Time for another suggestion from Zoe. You know, I can jump really high, she said. I realised that this was not a moment to just congratulate her on her vertical takeoff skills or encourage her that should she embrace a challenging regime of exercise and athletic discipline, perchance there might be a gold medal in her future. She didn't need to hear any of that. She just wanted me to utter three words. Show me, Zoe. And show me, she did. Bounding up onto the couch, she made me feel a little nervous. You know, we had the minister and his wife over for dinner and the kids ended up in hospital with broken bones. She leapt into the air, landing safely, which was the answer to a hasty prayer. We clapped and cheered. Zoe wanted to be seen and we'd obliged. We all have a deep need to be seen, to be noticed. The first time we ride a bike without falling off or successfully use a potty, not at the same time as riding the bike, when we score a goal or win that race, the need to be noticed is primal in us all, so much so that the hunger can create dysfunction. Jesus rebuked the Pharisaic barons who adopted a pray-and-display spirituality. He exposed their desperate appetite to not only be seen but celebrated. He said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And later, in the withering sermon of Matthew 23, he said, everything they do is done for people to see. But we all have a healthy need to be seen. And noticing is one of the wondrous attributes of God, as the Old Testament story of Hagar reveals. A trafficked slave who had been hauled out of her Egyptian homeland and taken across borders to Canaan, she was commodified, used and abused by Abraham and Sarah. A bewildered fugitive in the Sinai desert, she bumped into an angel. She heard her name spoken and she gave God a name too. You are the God who sees me. Hagar delivered this life-altering truth, one that's affirmed throughout scripture. When God sees, he cares. And then there's that chap Zacchaeus, that small person who always makes me feel of a tree-bound Donnie DeVito, a man despised by all, tagged as a shark, a quizzling and a traitor. That tax gatherer had felt the icy freeze of too many cold, hard stares. But then Jesus came by, peered up into the branches, saw him and spoke his name. Being seen birthed a brand new life. And so this week, let's notice what's around and who is around us. As Annie Dillard put it, we are here to witness creation and abet it. We are here to notice each thing so that each thing gets noticed. Together we notice not only each mountain shadow and each stone on the beach, but especially we notice the beautiful faces and complex natures of each other. Otherwise, creation would be playing to an empty house. This week, let's notice, let's see. Lives might change as we see, and the show that's playing is spectacular. Whatever we do, let's not miss it. Let's see. See you next week. Lucas on Life. <laughs>